So, on the screen here behind me, I have our passage for today. This morning, I decided to do a different passage. And we are going to cover chapter 4, verse 7 through 21 next week. I told y'all last week that we were planning to cover it today. Um, Here's why. If you have your Bibles open to 1 John 4, go ahead and look. It's on page 1125 if you're using one of the blue Bibles. But I want to take just a few moments and bring out a main point from this passage. And I want to tell you why we're changing passages, why we're doing something different today. So 1 John 4, look at verse 8. There's three words in there. It says, God is love. Look at verse 16. It says, God is love. That is good news for us. That He is love. Now, in today's world... Most people think that love is God. Most people think that love is important. They get the cart before the horse, and the cart can't pull the horse. And things get dysfunctional. Things get backwards. We've seen, we've been going through this letter that John wrote. It's called 1 John. John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He wrote this letter to a group of Christians who he loved dearly. And... A lot of it is just saying that if you love God, you're going to love people. And there's some other things there too, but that's one of his main points. And that's one of the main points of the passage that we had planned to go over today. But we see that love is not God. That love is not ultimate. Love is not the most important thing. But God is ultimate. God is love. God is the most important thing. And today, I want to show you that everything that we know about love actually comes from God. If God was not love, we wouldn't be able to know how we are to love people. And in these verses, in 1 John 4, He shows us what His love does. Now some of you here, you may be thinking, well, I know God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, da 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 But how does that really connect with your life? John tells us in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. What does manifest mean? It means it was revealed. The curtain was pulled back. You didn't have to do any guessing games. You get to see it. It's been shown. In this the love of God was made manifest. So how do we see the love of God? He goes on to say, God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And then he goes on to say, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So, how do we know what love is? Do we, do we know what love is because we have love for God? Is that how we figure out what it truly means to love somebody? No. We know how to love others because God has given us the example of how He loved us. He gave something precious to us. 
that was for our good. He gave something that he didn't have to give. And this is the nature of love. God loves you and I because he is love. We saw in verse 8 and 16, God is love. God loves you because he is love. Because he is love, he can, and there's so much of it, it just overflows. He chooses to let it flow to us. He gives it to us. He offers it to us. And then in the last two or three verses of 1 John 4, he says we ought to love one another. Just as love overflows from him, it is to, when we receive it, it is supposed to overflow to others. Look around the room. You have the responsibility to love your church family who is sitting with you at these tables. That is God's call to you. John's already said that. He's getting repetitive by now. But here's what I want to do today. I want to look at a passage that will show us what love looks like. We've seen this command. You've got to love your brother. You've got to love your sister. Joe has got to love Sheree. Sheree's got to love Gene. Gene's got to love me. I've got to love Cadence. Cadence has to love Steve. That's what we're doing here. But sometimes, I'll say, all of us deal with this to some degree. Some of us deal with this a lot. Sometimes our idea of what love is is a bit backwards. Sometimes it's a bit selfish. Sometimes we think we're loving people, but something else might be motivating us inside. And it occurred to me this week as I was studying this passage that if we keep saying, this is how you need to, or, or if, if I keep saying, if John keeps saying that you're supposed to love God and love other people, then we need to talk about what love actually is. And we need to talk about what love is not. Because there's a lot of substitutes for it, there's a lot of counterfeits for it. There's a lot of things that motivate us to do good things for people that are, and that motivation is not love. There's other motivations out there. So we are going to read and discuss 1 Corinthians 13 today. Uh, turn there if you haven't already. I can't remember if I've asked you to do it or not. If you're in the Blue Bible, it's on page 1062. So 1 Corinthians 13, this is a popular passage that's read at weddings especially. I think we over-sentimentalize it a bit. But Paul wrote this chapter in a big section of a letter that's talking about what you do when you get together with other Christians. This whole last half, almost the entire last half of 1 Corinthians is how do you treat people and what do you do when you get together on a Sunday morning? Or when you get together to worship a different time of the week. Did you know the Bible never commands you to get together on a Sunday morning to do this? It does tell you to get together to worship. But Sunday morning is a tradition we've inherited as Jesus rose from the dead. But what do you do when you're together? And how are you to relate to one another? That's what 1 Corinthians is all about when you get into that last half. So in chapter 13, he says the most important thing is love. So let me read this. And then we're going to take a few minutes to discuss it. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or cl a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here's what we do. Um, I'm going to give you all an opportunity. I'm going to pray in a moment. And after that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to read the passage to yourself. Get familiar with it. If you have questions about it, you'll have the opportunity to ask questions about what you've just read. If you um, want to share something that you saw or something that's neat to you, uh, it's a good time to do that. So let's pray and um, we'll jump into it. Father, we thank you for your written word. God, we believe that your word is authoritative in our life. We believe that you present yourself to us in it in so many ways. God, would you speak to us today? And may we know you as we think through your word, as we discuss it, as we meditate upon it. Would you make yourself known to us? Amen. Take a few minutes to read. When the time is right, your table leader will begin the discussion. All right, everybody. So, thank you for allowing me the opportunity. I didn't really ask permission, but thank you for allowing me the opportunity to dive into this passage with you. When we take what we saw in 1 John, that God is love, it overflows into love for others. We see that his love compels him to give that which is most precious to him. He gives it away for the good of others. How do we pervert that? How do we get that wrong? Three or four years ago, I was weed eating in front of our house down the road here. And... It was, I was off that morning, it was a Monday, there was court, everybody was pulling up, and I'm doing my thing, I'm facing the courthouse, and I saw just a lot of movement up ahead, so I lifted my head up, and a young woman was, there was, there was a pickup truck, and a young woman did like this, and fell on the curb. And the truck, the, the passenger door was open. The truck spun off. He, it's a miracle he didn't run over her, that she didn't get run over. I immediately get to her. I was 100 feet away. There was another man who saw it from the other direction. We got there about the same time. It quickly became clear that she was not seriously injured, but she was definitely hurt. And the other guy who was there, he was great. We both, you know, were just trying to help her. And her boyfriend 
was dropping her off because she had a traffic violation that she had to go in and do something for. And he got mad at her and he pushed, he hit her. It was a small pickup truck, Toyota pickup. He hit her and he pushed her out of the truck and he, she drove off. She hurt her head. Her, she was swollen back here a lot, but no need to call an ambulance. But the thing inside of me was that we need to lock this creep up. I was just a witness of domestic violence. Amen. So my, after we realized that physically she's going to be okay, then we, you know, I began attending to the emotional need. The, I was kind of leading the way in the discussion. The other guy was right on board with me, though. We encouraged her to go into the sheriff's office. It was right there. And um, there was a, a female sheriff uh, who I had seen before. I'd never met. She, she came with us. The other guy had to be in court, so he got in there. He left us, said goodbye. And this sheriff's deputy and I, we just got to question her. We got to learn about her life. And she was an open book for 15 or 20 minutes. We were encouraging her to press charges. I didn't think she would because I kind of know how these things work. She began defending this man. It became very clear that she could not live, in her mind, she could not live without this man. And she was convinced that he loved her. Now the truth is, I love my kids, and sometimes I am irritable. And according to the passage we just read today, that means I am not loving towards my kids. Just because I do something that's not loving, it doesn't always cancel out my love. Okay. But I will say we get to a point that is far different from my relationship with my kids and my irritability at times. And that point, they, they, they came to that point that day when he hit her and pushed her out. And he, he could have taken off her leg. He could have ran over her. And, and so, you know, that man does not love this girl. I say girl. She was 19 or 20. That is not a loving thing to do. We get love wrong. We live in a world where we get love wrong. We've had thoughts ourselves where we get love wrong. We became Christians, so we start to learn about what real love is. We saw that in 1 John. God's love overflows to send His Son. But we still get love wrong. What I'm sharing with you today is stuff that all of us in here are guilty of to one degree or for another. Some of us in here do this a lot. And I've talked with some of you about it. And this is not a pick on you message, but this is something that I want to show from the Word what is not loving and what is it that often we substitute for love? How do we get it wrong? I went to um, a very academic, reliable source this week for the definition of love. I went to Google, I typed in love, and here's what it gave me Love is an intense feeling of deep affection, a great interest or pleasure in something. That was Google's definition of love. I say it falls short from what John tells us, but Google said it's an intense feeling of deep affection. It's a great interest or pleasure in something. I had a conversation earlier this year with someone, and this person said, and this is almost their exact words, it stuck with me and I realized something about where my generation is at. He said, I want to love people. You know, I want to feel good about others, and I want them to feel good about me. 
Truth is, this person was very lonely. But he was saying, and his, he wanted to love others, and for him, he just wanted someone to like him, which is a natural desire, right? And he wanted to like other people. But the truth is, he doesn't really like other people, and he was honest with me about that. And I think we can all relate to that at some point in our life. But for him, love was just having good feelings towards someone or having a desire. Um, I read an article in Time magazine. And, and the man who wrote it, he says that too many women have told me, with bruises visible on their face, that the husbands who struck them love them. See, we see love as a feeling. Now, feelings are associated with love. I'm not divorcing love from joy or good feelings at all. God designed good feelings to, to, to be a part of receiving love and giving love. There's joy in that. I'm not canceling that out at all today. But the error, the place where we get it wrong is when we think that the only thing love is, is feeling good towards someone. Because see, when that woman whose husband hit her, when that man makes her feel good again with a vase of flowers, or taking her out to a really nice meal, then because that feeling is there, it doesn't matter what he did to me a few days ago. We get love wrong. In this passage that we read today in 1 Corinthians, Paul does not define love, but he tells us what it looks like. You can read through this and evaluate your own actions. You can evaluate the actions of others. In verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I've never had someone come up behind me with a noisy gong, but I saw somebody do it on Bugs Bunny one day, and it didn't turn out for the guy who wasn't ready for it. Amen. Okay? You've seen it in the cartoons. You know how it works. See, someone in your life can sound incredible. They can have a charismatic personality. They can be attractive enough to go on a magazine cover. They can be amazing, and they can make you feel really special. They can make you feel really good. But if they don't love you, nothing good actually comes. Verse 2, Paul says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Here Paul tells us that we can do incredible things and we can know everything. We can have enough power and enough faith to speak to this mountain over here and say, go over there, and it obeys and it gets up and it goes. But if we can't love somebody, even if we have all that faith, then we are nothing. People can give you things. People can do good things for you. You can give someone else something. I can give someone something. I can do good things for somebody, but I can do that without loving them. I can have other motivations to do good things. Okay, God's love is pure. His motivation of giving His Son was love. I mean, I think we can say there's some other things to that, but for today's message, we'll focus on love. God loved you purely, and that's why He gave but we often give because we want something in return. And when we do that, we gain nothing. I'll get more into that in just a moment. 
verses 4 through 7. Um, let me say that love is a noun first, before I read this. A noun is a, per- a person, a place, or a thing. Love is a person. Love is God. Love is a thing, I believe. But when I look at verses 4 through 7, and I'll get to the love is a noun and a person before we end today. But when I look at verses 4 through 7, I see that love is a verb. Love is an action word. Love does something. So if someone says they love you, but they don't do anything for you, or they're unwilling to do everything for, anything for you, then you have reason to question their love. Amen. But love is a verb, and in these four verses, there's 15 verbs. Love does this, love does not do that. Love does this, love does not do that. Love looks like this, love does not look like that. That's what Paul's getting ready to say. So verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I've got a long list that I'm going to go through with you of what love is not. And it's all based on these four verses. First off, love is not controlling. Are you a controlling person? If you are, let it go. Repent and turn to God. Give people in your life the freedom that they should have. Verse 5, it says, Love does not insist on its own way. Are you forceful with people? Are you willing to let someone else have a say in the conversation? Do you value the opinion of others? Or are you the only one who knows how to do it right? Is everyone else in your life totally incompetent that you have to control them? That you have to insist on your own way that it has to be done like this all the time. Love is not controlling. It is patient and kind. It does not insist on its own way. There is a thing in this world called manipulation. Where we can. And usually when this happens. And we've done it in here. We've all done it to some degree. But usually when someone does this. It's coming from a deep source of pain rejection, abandonment, or neglect. And we need someone in our life so much, we fight for it and we try to make them come in and we're not patient and we're not kind. But usually when we do this, I I call it manipulation because we're trying to make someone think that they are our friend. We're trying to make someone think that we really do love them. But the truth is, we are trying to get them to do what we want them to do because we need them to do it for us or for some other reason. The Mm -hmm. motives of our heart are not pure. It's called manipulation. Because you want someone to think one thing, you're trying to do something to make it look like love, and it's not. Love is not controlling. It is patient and kind. It does not insist on its own way. Secondly, love is not suffocating. 
You know what suffocation is? Somebody puts a pillow over your head till you can't breathe anymore and you die. There's just like no space. You can't get up. You don't know what to do. Love gives people space. Sometimes love lets people fail. Sometimes we let people learn from their mistakes. If they're going to drive off a cliff, no, we stop them, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about lesser things. But love gives people space. Would it be loving for me to force myself into the details of your financial life? No. I'd be a jerk, right? Amen. Some things are just none of my business, you know? And obviously, I can talk about anything with you, but you have to be willing to do that. I'm willing to go in anywhere with anybody just about. I'm not afraid of that stuff, you know? Because that stuff's real, and we only help in those areas sometimes. I'm not saying don't talk to me about something personal. But what I am saying is that I'm not going to force myself in and push the door down so that I know what I want to know about you so that I can fix you or do whatever. Look at verse 7. Love bears all things. It believes all things. Some of your translation says that it trusts. Would you like to be trusted? Sometimes I think we just need to give people the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Let them breathe some. Even if they're getting it wrong, put them in God's hands. So love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The third thing, love is not convenient. We want microwave relationships. We want to hit that button. That TV dinner comes out two and a half minutes later, and it's all good and right, and we feel good about each other, and we love each other. Have you ever noticed how that right person can come into your life, and everything good, everything is wonderful, and three weeks later, you're just, what? They asking yourself, what was I thinking? What was I doing? I can't believe I gave that guy a key to my apartment. Amen. And he just ran off with everything. Or he was with my best friend. And I thought he loved me. Have you ever been there? Thought about that? We think love just happens quick. No, love takes work. Love requires sacrifice. Hey, we don't push the button on the microwave and have a loving, healthy relationship. No, we get in a crock pot and we stay there for a really long time. It takes time for love to develop. You start coming to church here. I'm not going to be able to love you very well three weeks from now. But let me get to know you a bit and I'll be able to love you better and you'll be able to love me. Love's like a crock pot, not like a microwave. It takes time. It involves sacrifice. Some of us, we want love to happen on our own terms. We want love to happen on our timing and under our conditions. And we don't want it to mess with any of our plans. I got my plan for my life. But you're in it. So do I give myself to you and let you be a part of my, you know, do I adjust my agenda or my plan for the week based on your presence, love does require that to happen. And verse 4 shows this. Love is patient and kind. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. So love is not always convenient, but love often requires sacrifice. Fourth thing, 
Love is not a scorecard. Amen. Love is not as you did this for me, so I'll do this that for you. You washed dishes last night, it's my turn to wash dishes tonight. Love tries to outdo one another in showing honor, Amen. as Paul writes in the book of Romans. If someone loves you, they're going to try to give you more than you give them. Amen. And you know a recipe for a happy marriage is both people trying to love each other Amen. and do more for the other person. Not in an unhealthy competition kind of way, but we are just trying to outdo one another in giving and serving one another. Love is not a scorecard. It does not see favors or keep score about who did what and when. Love is generous with time and ability. And love lets go. Verse 5 says, the uh, ESV says it's not resentful. The New International Version says it keeps no record of wrongs. So love is not going to be saying, well, you've done A, B, and C. Or, you know what, you've done these things to me, so I just know that things are never going to get better. And that's, there's some complicated dynamics around that. And every situation is, is, there's nuances to each situation in that. But I want to ask you this. I'm talking to you, child of God. I'm talking to you, mature believer. I'm talking to you who know your Bible and your theology really well. Do you keep a record of other people's wrongs? Do you hold it against them? The wording in the original language, keeping a record of wrongs, it actually means that you keep a book of evil. That you're keeping a book of all the evil things that someone has done to you. The Bible says that love does not keep an account of offenses. We are not to always be ready to build a case against someone. We are not to constantly be reminding someone of that thing they did 35 years ago or that thing they did three months ago. But resentment and unforgiveness can build bitterness in our hearts. And it messes us up inside, y'all. I've had seasons in my life where I messed up inside, and this is why. And you might be here today, and you might be in a season of life where you're all messed up inside, and you can't figure out why, and this is why. One pastor said it like this, that harboring resentfulness in your heart is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. Harboring resentment and bitterness in your heart is like having a big drink of poison and expecting somebody else to die instead of yourself. Harboring bitterness and resentment does absolutely no good. If you are keeping a record of wrong, it is time to let it go. So sometimes, when I say love is not a scorecard, there's a whole lot that goes under these. But sometimes people try to do something nice for you, and they expect you to do something in return for them. They want you to owe them. They want you to be in their debt. They want you to be their slave. Someone's doing that to you, you've got to create some boundaries. Amen. Say, I love you enough not to let you do this to me. Amen. People do this, we do this, because we want to know that other people will not leave us. Look at chapter 13, verse 3. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, we're often rooted in fear. We're gonna next week. We'll look at 
First John 4, perfect love casts out all fear. Do you fear losing people? Do you fear what will happen to you at times? Will God's perfect love and, I believe, the love of God through us, it will drive out that fear. And it is good when that happens. But if you are the type of person where you're giving people something because you're hoping that it'll make your relationship better, that's the wrong reason to give it to someone. We give to people out of an overflow of love. Not because we want to get something from them. Not because we need their approval. Sometimes people will love because they want someone to like them. I'm going to do this thing for you because I want you to like me. Sometimes people need you to need them. And this is not love. This is what Paul calls self-seeking. This is what Paul calls insisting on its own way. This is what psychologists call codependency. I have to depend on you, and I need you to depend on me. And if you don't depend on me, then I'm going to be devastated. Or I'm going to be crushed. Because the real reason I do things for you is so that I can get what I need. Amen. That is the wrong motivation to give and to do things. Again, we hold out God's love in its purest, most healthy form. Being that you give for the good of the one who is loved. So sometimes people need you to need them, and this is not love. Here's some signs that you might be in this place. And I think all of us are guilty of some of these things at times. Do you feel, do you regularly feel like you are less, of lesser value to someone else? Or do you constantly feel like you're better than those people over there? This is a sign of codependency. This is a sign that you need other people to need you. And this is not love. When you're confronted, do you automatically get defensive or cast blame elsewhere? Let me ask you this. Are you afraid to be honest with somebody? I think loving someone lends itself to honesty. Or do you have the opposite problem where you're too honest with people? Or you tell everybody everything. Because sometimes that's not good either. There has to be a balance. Do you come to church on Sunday morning and you're constantly worried about upsetting someone? That's where you're at, then you have a fear of man. An unhealthy fear of man. And if you have a fear of man, you can't love someone in the middle of that. If you're afraid of someone, you can't love them in a pure way as God has called us to. Our fears of people, our fear of losing someone's approval, it causes us to not love someone well. There's also this idea floating around, it's called consumerism. When I go to Walmart, I'm a consumer. Spent $200 at Walmart this week. Okay? So, I'm a consumer. I'm going there, and the only reason I go there is because I want to get what I need and what I want. Okay? Sometimes we treat people like that. See, it's good if you do that at Walmart or Food Line or this store or that store. But do you treat people like that? Do you treat church like that? What can you do for me? Can you make me feel good on a Sunday morning if I come to your church? Can you play the music that I think is the best kind of music? 
can you do something for me? If you can't, then I don't want to be a part of it. This is consumerism. And when we're guilty of this, we can't connect to other people, but we set ourselves up for failure because we go looking to get something for ourselves and we don't go to worship God and to give to others. Imagine a church where everyone in the church family just wanted to give to the other person and build up the other person. But in 1 John, that's what John is telling us to do. Love your brother. Love your sister. Love them as Christ has loved you. And if you don't do that, then verse 3 becomes true. You gain nothing. If you're a consumer, if you go in somewhere and it's all about you, yeah, you're probably hurting in life. I get that. You need some healing. Yes, I get that. Yeah, people don't love you very much. I get that. All that stuff is valid. But if you go in somewhere to only get your needs met and it's all about you, then you will not be able to receive love even if someone's trying to give it to you. We have to repent of our consumerism, realize it's not about us. But to realize it's something about so much bigger than us. This is about God. Our life is for God and for His glory. In our lives, we are called to love our neighbors, ourselves, and to serve others. Let's move on. Verse 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Sometimes, if someone loves you, that means they're going to say, this is not okay. But we get a different picture in our media today, don't we? That if you love someone, then you can let them do whatever you want to do. If I know you're driving off a cliff, I'm going to try to stop you, and you are wrong. And the loving thing to do is to do almost everything I can to stop you from doing that. So I might have to, there might have to be an argument in there. Or, at the very least, a bit of an intense discussion or disagreement. Love calls... C-A-L-L-S. Love calls us to disagree with people sometimes. If someone disagrees with you, it might be because they love you. It's not necessarily because they're against you. It's not necessarily because they're, they think you're an idiot. It might not have anything to do with that. Now those things do happen, but it might not have something to do with that. But sometimes love says it's not okay. Sometimes love says you can't have what you want. Sometimes love says, I know you. it makes you feel good, but it's going to kill you. I know he makes you happy. I know she makes you feel special. I know that that thing you can't afford, but you could borrow, will make your life better. But you know what? You're going to regret taking on that thing. You're going to regret that. So because we don't know love, what love is, and because our relationships with God get a little pathetic at times, we have redefined love into something that never imposes judgments or conditions or attachments. Did you know that God's love for you has a condition on it? Did you know that God's love for you has an attachment? There is something... Like, like if God is going to abide and dwell in you and be a part of your life, there's something you have to do. Not that you're doing it earns His love. His love is free. But in order to continually experience His love, you have to abide in Him. You have to remain in Him. We've seen this a half dozen times already in First John. We're going to see it next week and the week after, I think. But we've seen that. You've got to abide. You can't run away. You've got to stay home. 
where you're supposed to be if you are going to experience His love and know His love. God's love has conditions upon it. But if you listen to pop culture today, if you look at the magazine rack at Food Line before you check out, if you're scrolling through your news feed, you'll see entire articles written to say, if you love me, you'll let me do whatever I want to. That's not love. That is not love. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You can't say, I love God, and then do whatever the heck you want to do. And some of you in here, you may think you love God, but you're doing whatever the heck you want to do, and you have no love for God at all. And God is saying, turn to me. Come to me. He is saying, I love you enough to receive you as you are, but I love you enough not to let you stay there. You have to change. You're going to kill yourself if you keep doing the dumb things you're doing. Come to me. I will heal you, he says. Come to me. I will pour my life into you. Come to me and I will receive you. God's love has conditions. If you are going to receive his love and walk in his love, then you need to be following him. John 14, he says, If anybody loves me, he will keep my word. There's no way around that. You can't think you're a Christian and then live however you want when you leave this building. I told you earlier that love is a verb. John tells us that the love of God caused him to do something for you, to give you something that was precious to him. You can hear what I've said so far, and you can think, well, if I'm going to love people, then I just have to do stuff for them. But if that... It's the only application you get from this, then either I haven't done a good job of communicating or you haven't done a good job of listening or both. <laughs> There's something more to loving somebody than, than just doing good things for them. I told you love is a verb, but love is also a noun. Love is a person. Love is God. The answer for our broken lives, and I say our, including myself in that, I am broken inside and God is putting me together more and more as week, every week goes by. But as I am broken inside, I can't clean up my life just by doing all this good stuff. I need a heart level transformation. I need something deep down inside of me to change. And I can't change that myself. And you can't Either the answer to you being more loving isn't for you to do more good things to people, but it is for you to be filled with love himself, to be filled with the God who created the world, to be filled with the God who sent his one and only son to die as a criminal, the most horrific method of execution that has ever been invented in the history of the world. And he willingly and freely went to the cross because he loves you. If you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you come to him saying, God, I've messed it all up. I have wrecked my life. God, I'm on this. God, I'm on that. God, I don't know where I'm going to get dinner tonight because I've screwed it all up so much. But God, I believe that you love me and I want you. If you come to God and you say that, he will change you. And my good, God's good news that I get to share with you today and that we get to share with each other constantly is that God loves you that much. 
If you want that love, you call upon His name. He will hear your prayer. He loves you more than you can ever know. And you don't have to clean up your life to have Him come in. He comes in and He'll clean it up with you. That is the good news of the gospel. That is God's invitation to you. And if you have not believed the gospel, I didn't say if you haven't been baptized. I didn't say if you hadn't, don't go to church every week. I said if you have not believed the gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ is actually for you. That's the gospel. That it's for you. If you've never believed that, I want you to believe that today. And I want you to say yes to Jesus. And I want you to walk with Him. He will change you. He will... He, he will bring light into your darkness. He will bring healing in your pain. Let's pray.